Chapter Twelve of Jill the Reckless by P. G. Woodhouse. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Uncle Chris borrows a flat. One. Uncle Chris walked breezily into the room, flicking a jaunty glove. He stopped short on seeing that Mr. Pilkington was not alone. "'Oh, I beg your pardon. I understood.' He peered at Jill uncertainly. Mr. Pilkington affected a dim artistic lighting system in his studio, and people who entered from the great outdoors generally had to take time to accustom their eyes to it. "'If you're engaged—' "'Er, allow me, Miss Mariner, Major Selby.' "'Hello, Uncle Chris,' said Jill. "'God bless my soul!' ejaculated that startled gentleman, adventurer, and collapsed on to a settee as if his legs had been mown from under him. "'I've been looking for you all over New York,' said Jill. Mr. Pilkington found himself unequal to the intellectual pressure of the conversation. "'Uncle Chris,' he said with a note of feeble inquiry in his voice, "'Major Selby is my uncle.' "'Are you sure?' said Mr. Pilkington. "'I mean—' not being able to ascertain after a moment's self-examination what he did mean he relapsed into silence whatever are you doing here asked uncle chris i've been having tea with mr pilkington but why mr pilkington well he invited me but how did you know him we met at the theatre theatre otis pilkington recovered his power of speech "'Miss Mariner is rehearsing with a little play in which I am interested,' he explained. Uncle Chris half rose from the settee. He blinked twice in rapid succession. Jill had never seen him so shaken from his customary poise. "'Don't tell me you've gone on the stage, Jill.' "'I have. I'm in the chorus.' "'Ensemble,' corrected Mr. Pilkington softly. "'I'm in the ensemble of a piece called The Rose of America. We've been rehearsing for ever so long.' Uncle Chris digested this information in silence for a moment. He pulled at his short mustache. "'Why, of course,' he said at length. Jill, who knew him so well, could tell by the restored ring of cheeriness in his tone that he was himself again. He had dealt with this situation in his mind and was prepared to cope with it. The surmise was confirmed the next instant when he rose and stationed himself in front of the fire." Mr. Pilkington detested steam heat, and had scoured the city till he had found a studio apartment with an open fireplace. Uncle Chris spread his legs and expanded his chest. "'Of course,' he said. "'I remember now that you told me in your letter that you were thinking of going on the stage. My niece,' explained Uncle Chris to the attentive Mr. Pilkington, "'came over from England on a later boat. I was not expecting her for some weeks, hence my surprise at meeting her here. Of course.' You told me that you intended to go on the stage, and I strongly recommended that you begin at the bottom of the ladder and learn the groundwork thoroughly before you attempted higher flights. Oh, that was it, said Mr. Pilkington. He had been wondering. There is no finer training, resumed Uncle Chris, completely at his ease once more, than the chorus. How many of the best-known actresses in America began in that way? Dozens, dozens. If I were giving advice to any young girl with theatrical aspirations, I should say— begin in the chorus. On the other hand, he proceeded, turning to Mr. Pilkington, I think it would be just as well if you would not mention the fact of my niece being in that position to Mrs. Wadsley Pegram. She might not understand. Exactly, assented Mr. Pilkington. 
the term chorus i dislike it intensely myself it suggests precisely uncle chris inflated his chest again well satisfied capital he said well i only dropped in to remind you my boy that you and your aunt are dining with me tonight i was afraid a busy man like you might forget i was looking forward to it said mr pilkington charmed at the description you remember the address nine east forty-first street i have moved you remember so that was why i couldn't find you at the other place said jill the man at the door said he had never heard of you stupid idiot said uncle chris testily these new york hall porters are recruited entirely from homes for the feeble-minded i suppose he was a new man well pilkington my boy i shall expect you at seven o'clock good-bye till then come jill good-bye mr pilkington said jill good-bye for the present miss mariner said mr pilkington bending down to take her hand the tortoise-shell spectacles shot a last soft beam at her as the front door closed behind them uncle chris heaved a sigh of relief Whew! i think i handled that little contretemps with diplomacy a certain amount of diplomacy i think if you mean said jill severely that you told some disgraceful fibs fibs my dear or shall we say artistic mouldings of the unshapely clay of truth are the how shall we put it well anyway they came in dashed handy it would never have done for mrs pegram to have found out that you were in the chorus if she discovered that my niece was in the chorus she would infallibly suspect me of being an adventurer and while said uncle chris meditatively of course i am it is nice to have one's little secrets the good lady has had a rooted distaste for girls in that perfectly honourable but maligned profession ever since our long young friend back there was sued for breach of promise by a member of a touring company in his second year at college we all have our prejudices that is hers however i think we may rely on our friend to say nothing about the matter but why did you do it my dear child whatever induced you to take such a step jill laughed that's practically what mr miller said to me when we were rehearsing one of the dances this afternoon only he put it differently she linked her arm in his what else could i do i was alone in new york with the remains of that twenty dollars you sent me and no more in sight but why didn't you stay down at brookport with your uncle elmer have you ever seen my uncle elmer no curiously enough i never have if you had you wouldn't ask brookport ugh i left when they tried to get me to understudy the hired man who had resigned what yes they got tired of supporting me in the state to which i was accustomed i don't blame them so they began to find ways of making me useful about the home i didn't mind reading to aunt julia and i could just stand taking tibby for walks but when it came to shoveling snow i softly and silently vanished away but i can't understand all this i suggested to your uncle diplomatically that you had large private means i know you did and he spent all his time showing me over houses and telling me i could have them for a hundred thousand dollars cash down jill bubbled you should have seen his face when i told him that twenty dollars was all i had in the world you didn't tell him that i did uncle chris shook his head like an indulgent father disappointed in a favorite child you're a dear girl jill but really you do seem totally lacking in how shall i put it finesse your mother was just the same a sweet woman but with no diplomacy no notion of handling a situation 
I remember her as a child, giving me away hopelessly on one occasion after we had been at the jam cupboard. She did not mean any harm, but she was constitutionally incapable of a tactful negative at the right time. Uncle Chris brooded for a moment on the past. Oh, well, it's a very fine trait, no doubt, though inconvenient. I don't blame you for leaving Brookport if you weren't happy there, but I wish you had consulted me before going on the stage. Shall I strike this man? asked Jill of the world at large. How could I consult you? My darling, precious uncle, don't you realize that you had vanished into thin air, leaving me penniless? I had to do something, and now that we are on the subject, perhaps you will explain your movements. Why did you write me from that place on 57th Street, if you weren't there? Uncle Chris cleared his throat. In a sense, uh, when I wrote, I, I was there. I suppose that means something, but it's beyond me. I'm not nearly as intelligent as you think, Uncle Chris, so you'll have to explain. Well, it was this way, my dear. I was in a peculiar position, you must remember. I had made a number of wealthy friends on the boat, and it is possible that, unwittingly, I gave them the impression that I was as comfortably off as themselves. At any rate, that is the impression they gathered, and it hardly seemed expedient to correct it, for it is a deplorable trait in the character of the majority of rich people that they only, er, expand." They only show the best and most companionable side of themselves to those whom they imagine to be as wealthy as they are. Well, of course, while one was on the boat, the fact that I was sailing under what a purist might have termed false colors did not matter. The problem was how to keep up the, er, innocent deception after we had reached New York. A woman like Mrs. Wadsley Pegram, a ghastly creature, my dear, all front teeth and exuberance, but richer than the sub-treasury, looks askance at a man, however agreeable, if he endeavors to cement a friendship begun on board ship from a cheap boarding-house on Amsterdam Avenue. It was imperative that I should find something in the nature of what I might call a suitable base of operations. Fortune played into my hands. One of the first men I met in New York was an old soldier-servant of mine, to whom I had been able to do some kindnesses in the old days. In fact, it shows how bread cast upon the waters returns to us after many days. It was with the assistance of a small loan from me that he was enabled to emigrate to America. Well, I met this man, and after a short conversation he revealed the fact that he was the hall-porter at that apartment-house which you visited, the one on 57th Street. At this time of year, I knew, many wealthy people go south to Florida and the Carolinas, and it occurred to me that there might be a vacant apartment in his building. There was. I took it. But how on earth could you afford to pay for an apartment in a place like that? Uncle Chris coughed. <clears throat> I didn't say I paid for it. I said I took it. That is, as one might say, the point of my story. My old friend, grateful for favors received and wishing to do me a good turn, consented to become my accomplice in another, er, innocent deception. I gave my friends the address and telephone number of the apartment house, living the while myself in surroundings of a somewhat humbler and less expensive character. I called every morning for letters. If anybody rang me up on the telephone, the admirable man answered in the capacity of my servant, took a message, and relayed it on to me at my boarding-house. If anybody called, he merely said that I was out. There wasn't a flaw in the whole scheme, my dear, and its chief merit was its beautiful simplicity. Then what made you give it up? Conscience? Conscience never made me give up anything, said Uncle Chris firmly. No, there were a hundred chances to one against anything going wrong, and it was the hundredth that happened. 
when you have been in new york longer you will realize that one peculiarity of the place is that the working classes are in a constant state of flux on monday you meet a plumber ah you say a plumber capital on the following thursday you meet him again and he is a car conductor next week he will be squirting soda in a drug store it's the fault of these dashed magazines with their advertisements of correspondence courses are you earning all you should write to us and learn chicken farming by mail it puts wrong ideas into the fellows heads it unsettles them it was so in this case everything was going swimmingly when my man suddenly conceived the idea that destiny had intended him for a chauffeur gardener and he threw up his position leaving you homeless as you say homeless temporarily but fortunately i have been amazingly lucky all through it really does seem as if you cannot keep a good man down fortunately my friend had a friend who was janitor at a place on east forty-first street and by a miracle of luck the only apartment in the building was empty it's an office building but like some of these places it has one small bachelor's apartment on the top floor are you the small bachelor precisely my friend explained matters to his friend a few financial details were satisfactorily arranged and here i am perfectly happy with the coziest little place in the world rent-free i am even better off than i was before as a matter of fact for my new ally's wife is an excellent cook and i have been enabled to give one or two very pleasant dinners at my new home it lends verisimilitude to the thing if you can entertain a little if you are never in when people call they begin to wonder i am giving dinner to your friend pilkington and mrs pegram here to-night homey delightful and infinitely cheaper than a restaurant and what will you do when the real owner of the place walks in in the middle of dinner out of the question the janitor informs me that he left for england some weeks ago intending to make a stay of several months well you certainly think of everything whatever success i may have achieved replied uncle chris with the dignity of a captain of industry confiding in an interviewer i attribute to always thinking of everything jill gurgled with laughter there was that about her uncle which always acted on her moral sense like an opiate lulling it to sleep and preventing it from rising up and becoming critical if he had stolen a watch and chain he could somehow have succeeded in convincing her that he had acted for the best under the dictates of a benevolent altruism what success have you achieved she asked interested when you left me you were on your way to find a fortune did you find it i have not actually placed my hands on it yet admitted uncle chris but it is hovering in the air all around me i can hear the beating of the wings of the dollar bills as they flutter to and fro almost within reach sooner or later i shall grab them i never forget my dear that i have a task before me to restore to you the money of which i deprived you some day be sure i shall do it some day you will receive a letter from me containing a large sum five thousand ten thousand twenty thousand whatever it may be with the simple words first installment he repeated the phrase as if it pleased him first installment jill hugged his arm she was in the mood in which she used to listen to him ages ago telling her fairy stories go on she cried go on it's wonderful once upon a time uncle chris was walking along fifth avenue when he happened to meet a poor old woman gathering sticks for firewood she looked so old and tired that he was sorry for her so he gave her ten cents which he had borrowed from the janitor and suddenly she turned into a beautiful girl and said i'm a fairy in return for your kindness i grant you three wishes and uncle chris thought for a moment and said 
i want twenty thousand dollars to send to jill and the fairy said it shall be attended to and the next article it's all very well to joke protested uncle chris pained by this flippancy but let me tell you that i shall not require magic assistance to become a rich man do you realize that at houses like mrs wadsley pegram's i am meeting men all the time who have only to say one little word to make me a millionaire they are fat gray men with fishy eyes and large waistcoats and they sit smoking cigars and brooding on what they are going to do to the market the next day if i were a mind-reader i could have made a dozen fortunes by now i sat opposite that old pirate bruce bishop for over an hour the very day before he and his gang sent consolidated peanuts down twenty points if i had known what was in the wind i doubt i could have restrained myself from choking his intentions out of the fellow well what i am trying to point out is that one of these days one of these old oysters will have a fleeting moment of human pity and disgorge some tip on which i can act it is that reflection that keeps me so constantly at mrs pegram's house uncle chris shivered slightly a fearsome woman my dear weighs a hundred and eighty pounds and is skittish as a young lamb in springtime she makes me dance with her uncle chris's lips quivered in a spasm of pain and he was silent for a moment thank heaven i was once a footballer he said reverently but what do you live on asked jill i know you are going to be a millionaire next tuesday week but how are you getting along in the meantime uncle chris coughed well as regards actual living expenses i have managed by a shrewd business stroke to acquire a small but sufficient income i live in a boarding-house true but i continue to keep the wolf away from its door which by the by badly needs a lick of paint have you ever heard of nervino i don't think so it sounds like a patent medicine it is a patent medicine uncle chris stopped and looked anxiously at her jill you're looking pale my dear am i we had a rather tiring rehearsal are you sure said uncle chris seriously that it is only that are you sure that your vitality has not become generally lowered by the fierce rush of metropolitan life are you aware of the things that can happen to you if you allow the red corpuscles of your blood to become devitalized i had a friend stop you're scaring me to death uncle chris gave his moustache a satisfied twirl just what i meant to do my dear and when i had scared you sufficiently you wouldn't wait for the story of my consumptive friend pity that's one of my best i should have mentioned that i had been having much the same trouble myself until lately but the other day i happened to try nervino the great specific i was giving you an illustration of myself in action my dear i went to these nervino people happened to see one of their posters and got the idea in a flash i went to them and said here am i a presentable man of persuasive manners and a large acquaintance among the leaders of new york society what would it be worth to you to have me hint from time to time at dinner parties and so forth that nervino is the rich man's panacea i put the thing lucidly to them i said no doubt you have a thousand agents in the city but have you one who does not look like an agent and won't talk like an agent have you one who is inside the houses of the wealthy at their very dinner-tables instead of being on the front step trying to hold the door open with his foot that is the point you have to consider they saw the idea at once we arranged terms not as generous as i could wish perhaps but quite ample i receive a tolerably satisfactory salary each week and in return i spread the good word about nervino in the gilded palaces of the rich 
those are the people to go for jill they have been so busy wrenching money away from the widow and orphan that they haven't had time to look after their health you catch one of them after dinner just as he is wondering if he was really wise in taking two helpings of lobster newberg and he is clay in your hands i draw my chair up to his and become sympathetic and say that i had precisely the same trouble myself until recently and mention a dear old friend of mine who died of indigestion and gradually lead the conversation around to nervino i don't force it on them i don't even ask them to try it i merely point to myself rosy with health and say that i owe everything to it and the thing is done they thank me profusely and scribble the name down on their shirt cuffs and there you are i don't suppose said uncle chris philosophically that the stuff can do them any actual harm they had come to the corner of forty-first street uncle chris felt in his pocket and produced a key if you want to go and take a look at my little nest you can let yourself in it's on the twenty-second floor don't fail to go out on the roof and look at the view it's worth seeing it will give you some idea of the size of the city a wonderful amazing city my dear full of people who need nervino i shall go on and drop in at the club for half an hour they have given me a fortnight's card at the avenue capital place here's the key jill turned down forty-first street and came to a mammoth structure of steel and stone which dwarfed the modest brown houses beside it into nothingness it was curious to think of a private flat nestling on the summit of this mountain she went in and the lift shot her giddily upwards to the twenty-second floor she found herself facing a short flight of stone steps ending in a door she mounted the steps tried the key and turning it entered a hallway proceeding down the passage she reached a sitting-room it was a small room but furnished with a solid comfort which soothed her for the first time since she had arrived in new york she had the sense of being miles away from the noise and bustle of the city there was a complete and restful silence she was alone in a nest of books and deep chairs on which a large grandfather clock looked down with that wide-faced benevolence peculiar to its kind so peaceful was this eyrie perched high up above the clamour and rattle of civilization that every nerve in her body seemed to relax in a delicious content it was like being in peter pan's house in the treetops two jill possessed in an unusual degree that instinct for exploration which is implanted in most of us she was frankly inquisitive and could never be two minutes in a strange room without making a tour of it and examining its books pictures and photographs almost at once she began to prowl the mantelpiece was her first objective she always made for other people's mantelpieces for there more than anywhere else is the character of a proprietor revealed this mantelpiece was sprinkled with photographs large small framed and unframed in the centre of it standing all alone and looking curiously out of place among its large neighbours was a little snapshot it was dark by the mantelpiece jill took the photograph to the window where the fading light could fall on it why she could not have said but the thing interested her there was mystery about it it seemed in itself so insignificant to have the place of honour the snapshot had evidently been taken by an amateur but it was one of those lucky successes which happen at rare intervals to amateur photographers to encourage them to proceed with their hobby 
it showed a small girl in a white dress cut short above slim black legs standing in the porch of an old house one hand swinging a sunbonnet the other patting an irish setter which had planted its front paws against her waist and was looking up into her face with that grave melancholy characteristic of irish setters the sunlight was evidently strong for the child's face was puckered in a twisted though engaging grin jill's first thought was what a jolly kid and then with a leaping of the heart that seemed to send something big and choking into her throat she saw that it was a photograph of herself with a swooping bound memory raced back over the years she could feel the hot sun on her face hear the anxious voice of freddie rook then fourteen and for the first time the owner of a camera imploring her to stand just like that because he wouldn't be half a minute only some rotten thing had stuck or something then the sharp click the double assurance of freddie that he had thought it was all right if he hadn't forgotten to shift the film in which case she might expect to appear in combination with the cow which he had snapped on his way to the house and the relieved disappearance of pat the terrier who didn't understand photography how many years ago had that been she could not remember but freddie had grown to long-legged manhood she to an age of discretion and full-length frocks pat had died the old house was inhabited by strangers and here was the silent record of that sunlit afternoon three thousand miles away from the english garden in which it had come into existence the shadows deepened the top of the grey building swayed gently causing the pendulum of the grandfather clock to knock against the sides of its wooden case jill started the noise coming after the dead silence frightened her till she realized what it was she had a nervous feeling of not being alone it was as if the shadows held goblins that peered out at the intruder she darted to the mantelpiece and replaced the photograph she felt like some heroine of a fairy story meddling with the contents of the giant's castle soon there would come the sound of a great footstep thud 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 jill's heart gave another leap she was perfectly sure she had heard a sound it had been just like the banging of a door she braced herself listening every muscle tense and then cleaving the stillness came a voice from down the passage just see them pullman porters dolled up with scented waters bought with their dimes and quarters see here they come here they come for an instant jill could not have said whether she was relieved or more frightened than ever true that numbing sense of the uncanny had ceased to grip her for reason told her that spectres do not sing ragtime songs on the other hand owners of apartments do and she would almost as readily have faced a spectre as the owner of this apartment dizzily she wondered how in the world she was to explain her presence suppose he turned out to be some awful choleric person who would listen to no explanations oh see those starched-up collars hark how their captain hollers keep time keep time it's worth a thousand dollars to see those tip collectors very near now almost at the door those upper berth inspectors those pullman porters on parade a dim shapeless figure in the black of the doorway the scrabbling of fingers on the wall where are you damn it said the voice apparently addressing the electric light switch jill shrank back desperate fingers pressing deep into the back of an armchair light flashed from the wall at her side and there in the doorway stood wally mason in his shirt sleeves end of chapter twelve read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california shaggybark.blogspot.com